0: Today's gospel is in Mark chapter 9. For several weeks we were in Mark chapter 1 as Jesus introduced and revealed himself to us. And now a special key final week for the revealing of Jesus in our discipleship is to go up the mount of his transfiguration in this account from Mark chapter 9. After six days, that is, six days after jesus had said the son of man is going to suffer and be betrayed and die and rise again after he made that special indication and announcement of his mission as our savior six days later jesus took peter james and john with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone there he was transfigured before them his clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them and there appeared before them elijah and moses who were talking with jesus peter said to jesus rabbi it is good for us to be here let us put up three shelters one for you one for moses and one for elijah he did not know what to say they were so frightened Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord, dear friends in Christ, have you heard any ultimatums lately? You know that ultimatum where there's an either-or, and you can't have both. You can't have anything of of both at the same time. It's 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 either. Uh, what what does somebody say who feels like they're they're in a, a relationship mix with too many people. They say, well, it's either, it's either him or me, right? It's either her or me. Uh, that's, a, that's a very serious ultimatum. Some of them are seriously made by parents and maybe less seriously taken by children where you say something like you either eat those peas or you sit there and wait and you're going to eat those peas before you leave the table. You're going to eat them now or you're going to eat them later, right? There's, a, there's like ultimatums where you're not, you're not going to give somebody the both and. There's going to be just one way to do it. Just one way. The seriousness of the ultimatum from our Savior's lips couldn't be spoken in any stronger terms than the fact of stating life as it is in an ultimatum that would say to people, if anyone wants to keep his life, he must lose it, right? You have to lose your life in order to find it. Whoever finds their life in this world is going to lose it. This ultimatum kind of language that gets all the more personal to Jesus As he looks disciples in the eye, and this is part of our six days before transfiguration, he looks his disciples in the eye to say, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of him at the coming of the last day. That's ultimatum to say, if my words are not the crown, not the joy, not the delight of your life some other words have been mixed in you're ashamed of mine you've put something else ahead of mine i'm going to be ashamed of you it's the ultimatum language it has the nature and character of taking somebody who's on the fence and saying you can't stay there you can't stay on the fence you have to go somewhere else it's either going to be there or it's going to be here, right? That's the nature. So either an ultimatum is either going to push you further away or it's going to bring you closer into communion. It's a, it, into communion with somebody, a closer together with someone. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing is he's making clear to his disciples, and he's given them some time. We get to Mark chapter 9. We have some time where the disciples have spent with Jesus, watching him and learning from him, just like you through this epiphany season. You've seen him teach. You've heard his words. You've watched him do miracles. And you get to this point, and Jesus looks you in the eye, and he says, it's a plea to committal. And on the one hand, it kind of lays this out in front of you, and says this is an all or nothing situation my claims are such that they lay claim to everything that they they grab every nature of your life is to be drawn from me and what i say not you and how you think or how you feel or how you see things in life and that's dramatic these are the things that get my blood pumping during the week cuz i'm like going to preach I'm going to preach on a lay it down sermon. I mean, this is a lay it down in front of people's eyes. It's ultimatum type language that Jesus was giving to his disciples. That all of life would find conformity to Jesus, that all of life would be lived under the shadow of him and his cross that everything I would call worthy, everything I would view as a value system for life, everything I would use to navigate my priorities, everything that you would have to call moral and good, you would find it here in the word of God revealed, as Paul said, in the face of Christ. That's glory. Now, why is this such a hard thing? <laughs> well do you remember peter's response when jesus jesus says if you're ashamed of me in my words i'll be ashamed of you and uh, when jesus said i'm gonna go the way of the cross to suffer and die and i'll rise again on the third day uh, there was an elements of jesus depiction of the disciples life that peter said never lord now which side of the fence is he on he says never lord this should never happen to you Do you see? He's separating. He wants to pull Jesus away from everything he just said must be the necessity of the way of the cross, which was his great glory. Peter says no, and moves away from it. It's the wrong direction. But this is the struggle we have with the cross. It brings all the truths that God has ever said to light. The cross is the great statement on sin. We say this every Good Friday. The cross is a great statement of everything our sins ever deserved. And the cross is the great statement of the love of God. That, that is so profound and so deep and so wide and so long that he would take your sins upon himself. That's rich. That's why this ultimatum stuff means so much to Jesus. And that's why he has to look in Peter's eyes and says, that's from Satan. There's a whole lot of Less serious stuff, that's not as much of Satan. But Satan opposes the gospel. Satan blinds the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see the light of this Christ. The last thing he wants you to know is to come under in conformity to the words that God has spoken about sin and a savior and to find yourself there. Satan would pull you away. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. Because there's a struggle with Jesus' cross. There's a struggle with the truths of the word of God. There's a struggle with a life that says, I think it's worth it to fight sin. Let's pile this up just a little bit more and make it, make it a little thicker before we go up the mountain, okay? God says, be holy. And the devil would say, that, that's his word over there, but mine is more like, go along and get along. You know, mine is like you're you're doing just fine as you are. You don't need to like enter in some super Christian serious mode of like I'm gonna take Lent seriously and I'm gonna live my Ash Wednesday and I care about every thought and word and deed that I say for Jesus' sake and for his glory. That's (laughs) that is overboard. You don't need to be overboard to get to heaven. You can do something else. There's a never Lord. You keep that word holy mm, over there. We don't need it. We need it to be serious. If that holy word loses its seriousness, then grace loses its strength. You can't see what it is for a holy one to take the glory off and to set set it all aside on purpose. Does it, does it almost bring a tear to your eye to think that this is the Son of God for you, the sinner? Take and leave his glory and set it all aside. And that while you're saying, never, Lord, it'll never happen to you, Jesus is saying, it must. I must do this. Because I am love, and as surely as I am love, this is what love does. If I'm ever going to stand, if I'm ever going to show you what God is, if I'm going to show you what mercy means and grace, how God has always conducted himself in the presence of sinners. God has always conducted himself in a way that serves your needs ahead of his own. His glory is your salvation. Everything so rich, so heavy, right there, right the word of the prophets, of Moses and Elijah. So this is why all of these words come. And this, this, this word, this book that you have in your hand, this word from Jesus, you're either going to say, "This is everything. This is everything," and I can, I can, I get to fashion my life around this. What God says to me in His word this is what's going to carry my soul today. It's going to carry my soul tomorrow. It's going to glorify me together uh, in, in eternal life, or It's ashamed of those words in pursuit of something else. And Jesus understands your struggle with this. That every day when you get up and think thoughts and say words and live actions, you are wrestling with am I ashamed of his words or am I going to do what's comfortable for me? Am I going to do what feels right to me but it's not right for God? What's easy for me but it's not God's thing. Every day we live that. Every conversation. Are you going to be about your reputation or are you going to lose an argument to win a person? It's all over the place. Jesus recognizes this tension. Jesus knows our fallen nature, that we will always do this never lord to the glorious thing of God. He has to overcome us. He's going to put it to death but he's also going to look at his disciples and say, Peter, James, and John, let's go. And we go upstream. We go up. We go up to have it all viewed differently, to all be seen in a whole different way. And when Jesus took them up, just the three of them, uh, he took them up to a high mountain and And before you know it, it all happens. Jesus was transfigured before them. And Mark says his clothes were brighter than anyone could ever bleach them. And that a cloud enveloped them and a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This is not just sights and sounds on the top of that mountain. These are deep connections with the God of his word. What do I mean by that? in the old testament the son of man in like daniel for example is viewed as one who's radiant as the light god is making connections to the glory of his son here otherwise jesus could have turned bright purple for all that mattered and it would have still been glorious but he's matching old testament descriptions of the son of man who would come and he's revealing to i am the one who keeps this word And here's Moses and Elijah, right? This isn't just sights and sounds. It's not like the disciples didn't know who Moses and Elijah were. They were led to understand. They were allowed, people they had never seen before in their lives, but God allowed them in this glory to understand the prophet's glorious word that was here in the face of Christ, the fulfillment of that word that was here in Jesus, that radiant son of man that was on his face and in his garments. And a cloud that surrounded them. That's also Old Testament speak, isn't it? Do you remember what happened on Mount Sinai when the glory of the Lord came to Mount Sinai? When the glory of the Lord filled the temple that Solomon built? We're reading 1 Kings right now. It's perfect timing because, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. How did they know? Because it was a cloud. And so here in the top, James and John and Peter, they don't just have random sights and sounds. They have the word of God fulfilled, revealed. The glory of God attached to Jesus, this Jesus. And the great aspect of this this upstream that says you have to go this way, you have to go this way or you're going to die, the greatest aspect is in a Jesus who goes down to suffer. When we talk about uh, Jesus' humiliation, we do this in a, like a, a new member class or a, 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 a basics of the Bible class. We talk about Jesus and his work for us. We talk about his humiliation. And that's a special church history word that doesn't mean that Jesus was all like red in the face and embarrassed when he was mocked on the cross or something like that. Uh, it, when Jesus, when we talk about his humiliation, we view a, a deliberate thing, that Jesus did, a setting aside of his glory for us and for our salvation. That Jesus set aside the full use of his power and the might, his heavenly glory, so that he could serve our needs, so he could bleed real blood, die a real death, and breathe his last on behalf of sinners. What that means is you have a Jesus transfigured before his disciples that then says, Now that you have the word of God, the glorious word of God that gives life attached to me, let me show you what that word does and where that word goes. Let me show you where that glory of God is. And you put that glory of God in the crown of thorns. You put the glory of God in his willingness to suffer and die. You put that glory of God in a sacrifice. It's not just like another sacrifice on a human battlefield, but a sacrifice before God for the sins of the world that counts for something. When you you see this Jesus, we have affixed to him the glorious word of God that is accomplishing his plan. So we call it, a hidden glory, a set-aside humiliation glory, that for us and for our salvation, this is what he did. This is the lowliness he took on to accomplish such great things. Do you see how beautiful that is? A sinner wraps heart and soul around all of this, to say, unless you do God's stuff, unless you take sins away, unless you suffer in my place, I cannot be a new person. I cannot be a new creation. I depend on you to do a glorious thing in my flesh and blood that suffers and dies for sins. Right? So we call it a hidden glory, which is such a great title, a hidden glory. Oh, Because it doesn't say the glory isn't there. It doesn't say the glory isn't real. It doesn't say Jesus doesn't have glory. It says that it's glory that's there tucked under the cross. A glory that is real. A glory that is his. A glory that accomplished salvation. A glory that triumphs. Now look at his face on the top of that mountain and see the triumphant glory of the Son of God for you. See those, the living, Moses and Elijah, who are alive and well. They were sinful, but they trusted a Savior. How did that turn out for them, holding to that word of God? They said, Moses said no to the pleasures of Egypt. Right? Moses said no to all the things that he could have had. As God took his heart out from that spiritual blindness and darkness and brought him to see the light of the glory of the god's word that even would take us into the desert and to live there elijah cursed the popular gods of his day the the bales and the Ashtaras, and they had a showdown right on on mount carmel elijah pushed it all aside and said no and the, the there's only the name of the true god right it was going to serve him and and him alone he clung to that word It, like, crushed him. They wanted to kill him for it. And he ran to a cave, like, pulling his hair out in despair, like, I have accomplished nothing. But it was God's word and God's word alone that ultimately could lift up and sustain and restore his servant and eventually took Elijah up in a whirlwind, straight to heaven, before Elisha and the company of the prophet's own eyes. What is this? There's temptations in front of you this week. Jesus looks at us every day, and not just in a way that kind of points a finger and says, here's your ultimatum, you better go get over here or not. But Jesus looks at us in one way, is just picking us up and saying, don't be, don't be blind, don't be lost. Let me, let me rebirth you again into the love that I have shown you. Let me take you into the word of sin and grace. Let me take you into the fullness of what I've done for you so you can live here. Jesus is living his ultimatum first for you. To be your ultimate. There's no other word. There's no other promise. There's no other word that's going to take you to such glory. It's all there in the name of Jesus and him crucified for you. So start talking to Satan when he tempts you with other ultimatums that would have you leave and grow in an allegiance to sinful desires, in allegiance to the loves of the world, in allegiance to a reputation you have to maintain. Even if you have to lie about it, even if you have to twist a story and slander somebody else in the process. No, don't go there. Go in the way of suffering. Go in the way of serving your neighbor's needs, even if it means you lose all else. Go in the way of struggling mightily against temptation because holiness means something to me. It's been preciously given to me in the name of Jesus, and I want to demonstrate this in my life. Lord, you are my word. I listen to you. Ultimatum language. Live in it. Talk back to all those other struggles and temptations and put them down. Because I've gone, on, I've gone upstream. I know what the glory of God is. And by God's grace, I have the chance to conform my life to a glorious love, a glorious grace, a glorious patience, and kindness, and generosity, and self-control, selflessness of Jesus. I want to learn what this is. Teach me these fruits of the Spirit. Teach me these things that I can do in my life that are a part of your glorious way in this world. And perhaps there is other people who will catch on and be attracted to go upstream with us, to to say Lent is a wonderful, worthy season. Let's do this together. Let's worship together. Jesus, teach me what that worship is, where the glory of God lies. Only here. Only here. Ultimatum. In your word. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.